Whether you're on an island, in the mountains, or wandering its ancient sites, there's just something special about Greece. You can almost hear its past glories echoing on the pathways you travel today. British actress Joanna Lumley knows this firsthand. You probably know her as one of the Bond girls in the movies or as a co-star in Absolutely Fabulous and The New Avengers. Joanna fell in love with Greece right out of school. She recently finished filming a travel documentary series there in which she visits many of the places that the gods of mythology called home. In it, Joanna also observes the resiliency of Greeks as they work their way out of a troubled economy. Joanna, welcome back to Travel with Rick Steves. Hello, Rick. Tell us about your personal connection with Greece. I suppose always an awareness that because my sister was called Eleni after her Greek godmother, something about Greece seemed to stick in my mind, even though I was an India, born in India and brought up in Hong Kong and Malaysia. So the first chance I had to go to Greece was when I was about 18 and went with a group of friends. We stayed terribly poor in little sort of B&Bs. And I fell absolutely in love with it. We were on one of the little tiny islands, Poros. Mm. And I thought, I will come back to Greece one day and do it properly. Looking at the map, though, Rick, you suddenly see that Greece is like a country which has kind of had a bomb dropped on it in that there are so many islands and so many peninsulas and so many different parts of it and spread out with Crete right down in the south and Thrace up in the north and the Peloponnese jaggled with their fingers down their Corfu, almost European on the extreme western side. So it was a thrilling and complicated journey to try to plan. And also because Greece is the kind of mother of us all. And when you think of the things that came mm-hmm. out of Greece, music and medicine and goodness knows what, that there were so many different stories to tell. The Greek gods, for one, you know, mm-hmm. um, the Ottoman Empire, everything. Anyway, it was just the most wonderful trip. So now that was when you were like 18 and 20. And I remember those days sleeping on rooftops and, and sleeping That's on right. the beach and people hanging yeah. out in caves and selling their hair. <laughs> yes. We didn't do that. But there was a lot of people just existing in Greece and enjoying the sun and the That's backgammon right. and, the, and the rocky and so on. Now, you know, a few years have gone by and you go back and you're working and you're visiting friends in Greece and so on. Have those initial romantic uh, assessments, have, how have they held up? Because, of course, Greece is in financial turmoil now and in a lot of ways it's, it's kind of a basket case. But uh, I what's know. it like it was as, heartbreaking. You, as you come back? Yeah. Well, Rick, we had the great good fortune, if it can be called that, to be filming the series just before Greek fell to her knees and that really huge financial crunch brought them down. The signs were there already. Mm -hmm. Um, In prosperous Athens, suddenly there were middle-class women selling things from their house on the street, spread out on blankets, um, just to try to get enough money to to feed. You know, I was was in uh, Reykjavik in Iceland, and the harbor was full of Greek yachts. And people in Iceland had bought Greek yachts from yachters in Greece that had to sell them on the on the push yes. list because they were just selling them for next to nothing because they couldn't afford those old lifestyles anymore. And it had all gone. And the, the people in the countryside who up till now would have been seen as poorer peasants, the poor relations, suddenly were able to grow their own food and look after themselves in a way that the people in the city couldn't. And so wow. they felt terribly sad for people in the great cities like Thessaloniki and Athens. They felt, how are they going to manage these poor people? Isn't that interesting? Because Greece has dealt with this depopulation where I think 40% of uh, of the Greeks live within sight of the Acropolis. Uh, they've depopulated their little villages going to the big city and the promise of, uh, of employment. And suddenly the economy falls out and they kind of wish they were back on the farm. Oh, it's doubly heartbreaking in Greece because they would have made such journeys to get there from small islands, giving up 
an island mentality, really. But has Tiny the soul, place where you has, knew everybody. has that soul of Greece survived even in hard economic more times? More than survived, absolutely more than survived. And mm. very early on, we decided to start, because if you're doing a program about Greece, you kind of have to go to the heart of it. You have to start in Athens and mm-hmm. see the Acropolis and the Parthenon and so on. And we went to a kind of bazooki evening of singing, which mm-hmm. is not not the old kind of balalaikas playing, but real rock star music. Mm-hmm. And they throw flowers and they dance and they buy drinks and they dance. And it's a land of song and dance. Mm. And even when up against the wall, they'll spend their last money on rather like Zorba the Greek, dancing and singing and just saying, we'll get through it somehow. Yeah, you in, you interviewed a guy in your in your show and he, it was amazing yeah. how much money they spent for these flowers that they oh, would the just flowers. cascade oh, on no. people in the club, in the disco. <laughs> I know, and your heart. But it's part of a kind of style and a culture and a holding a head up high to say, poof, this is just flowers. We can spend money on flowers. You know, it you know? seems so impractical to me, but I guess it's important not to judge that because this is, a, 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 like you said, a dignity. Hold your head up high. Times are tough. I can't afford my rent, but we're going to party tonight. Yes, I think the spirit. You've got to keep the spirits high. If mm-hmm. people lose hope and lose energy and become despondent, there's no way out of the hole. But if they're dancing and singing, the chances are they'll pick themselves up. And Greece has never gone down before. It's come Mm -hmm. jolly close, but it's never Mm -hmm. come down. And she was the mother of everything, so she'll still be there at the end. We were traveling right through the economic crisis in Greece. And, uh, you know, when you're on the islands or out in the countryside, there's a resilience that comes with rural Mm -hmm. living. We were more welcomed than ever because they really appreciated our little boost to the local economy. And And Rick, don't you think a lot of their resilience comes from being largely a maritime nation? They're used to getting into a small boat and rowing off to something. They're used to the waves slapping and having to go out and pick up the fish and do stuff. They're used to a proper rigorous outdoor life. And when the storms blow, by golly, you're cut off on those little islands. I'm Rick Steves. This is Travel with Rick Steves. We're talking with Joanna Lumley. Many people know and and love Joanna Lumney for her work in in, uh, movies and in uh, her uh, British comedy, Absolutely Fabulous. I really have an appreciation for Joanna Lumley for her travels, and she's produced a number of beautiful, beautiful specials for public television. They're available on DVD, uh, distributed in the United States by Athena. Her latest, Joanna Lumley's Greek Odyssey, that's what we're talking about today. You'll see it in your public television stations now and then, and you can always get it uh, on DVD via Athena. And Joanna, when we're talking about your series, Greek Odyssey, one of the episodes had a beautiful theme. Theater at Epidavros, myth at the gates of Hades in the south of Peloponnesian Peninsula, sport at Olympia, the home of the first Olympic Games, and religion at Delphi, the oracle, the great oracle where the gods spoke to the people 3,000 years ago. Let's go through that right now. When we think about theater, take us to the great theater at Epidavros, or how do they pronounce that in Greek? You've got it right. They, they call it Epidavros in Greek, and here in English, we call it Epidorus in our country because it's easier than saying Davros, I think, okay. but they call it Epidavros. And it's one of these great extraordinary ideas that the ancient Greeks had, which was that to become well, to be healed in these Asclepians, which is the kind of hospital, if you like, Mm -hmm. part of healing is music and theatre. So you've got to have men's sana in corpore sana, a healthy mind and a healthy body, but you've got to be able to have the arts as well. And I'm a great believer in that. I'm a great believer in the power of music. And as we've just referred to Rick dancing and theatre, taking you out of yourself and making you ponder what seems to be imponderable. So let's think about this for just a sec, Joanna. Music and theater as a part of healing. And this was a famous uh, healing center in ancient Greece. And of course, you've got the greatest theater. This is just two hours away from Athens. You can get there just by hitting the freeway and driving south. Epidaurus, 
What did you find there, and how did you factor that in or oh, spice it into your, into your film? completely spellbinding, colossal theatre. It's not an amphitheatre, because that's half. This is kind of almost in the round, mm-hmm. with just a little stage, mm-hmm. and the stage which is in the sort of middle circle of the arena, where it's got a sweet spot in the middle where you can literally whisper, speak as I am speaking to you now, Rick, and it can be heard in every seat. I can't remember whether 30,000 seats, I can't remember. 10, 20, 30, Tens it was of a thousands. lot, and no amplification, and it sounds no like, amplification. oh, yeah, sure, yeah, sure, but you go there, you stand in the sweet spot that Joanna's talking about, your friends can be on the top row, and you can hear yep. them miraculously, acoustically. You can hear them miraculously, and it's built in a circle around it, mm-hmm. stacked up. We, we know it from football stadiums, we know it from sports stadiums, but these ones were built three, 4,000 years ago and are absolutely in perfect condition, perfect. Now, when I was there with my film, I had to, I had to do my own singing, which was really bad, but oh, you happen oh, to have I'd a connection that. with the greatest Greek singer of the generation. Tell us about... Nana Muscuri. Yeah. When I was a young one, Nana Muscuri had television programs here. She was a Greek singer with black glasses, black, smooth, shiny hair. She sang with the most exquisite voice. And she was kind of um, a middle-of-the-road sort of pop song. She sang popular songs like White Rose of Athens and things like this. She had started off, she trained as an opera singer, and she was cast to be in the chorus of operas, to be an opera to be sung at Epidavros, and I can't remember which one it was. It was may have been Carmen or something. When she got there on the very first day of rehearsals, the director singled her out because she'd had a hit with a record and said, you are a pop star, we don't want pop stars with us. And she was sent away before she could ever sing a note, and it broke her heart, broke her heart. Her record sold more, I think, than any other female singer kind of in the history of time. So this is Nana Muscori, and she was Nana in, the 60s, in the 60s. Check a, a, her out. And she was she more is, than a Greek pop star. She was a pan-European pop star in, even pan, in the United pan States. Pan-world, because pan she world. could sing in any language. Hmm. She could sing in German and Greek and Spanish and French and But she had English. never sang at Epidaurus, and you no. enabled and we her invited to stand her. there. We said, will you come here? <laughs> she and was she said, very moved, and you were too. I, I saw that you even well, shed a tear up on that top I row. I absolutely wept. I was standing at the very back, though, right at the top where you'd stood, Rick, to listen to this absolutely exquisite voice ringing out. And she decided to sing Ave Maria, uh, completely unaccompanied, of course. There was a group of little French schoolchildren who'd come just to hear and to see a Pidevros for themselves on a school trip. And suddenly to see Nana Muscuri, who's very famous in France, they couldn't believe their luck standing there and seeing the goddess singing from the middle of the stage. Quite incredible. That is such a beautiful example of theater and music from ancient times. And then you went down south to the far south of the Peloponnesian Peninsula. That's as far as you can go on the mainland in Greece to a place known as the Gates of Hades. This is in the Mani Peninsula, very rough-and-tumble land of bandits and so on, lawless land. Tell us about the Gates of Hades. The Gates of Hades. Legend had it that you could only approach the Gates of Hades. You see, this was the end of their known world in those olden days. They knew vaguely that there might be other land out there, but they'd never been there. So the end of the world, the end of the known world, was the bottom of Greece, as it were. The extreme tips, the last fingers of the Mani Peninsula. Mm-hmm. So we got in a boat and we sailed round to see the cliff in which the great cave gaped its mouth, in which were supposedly the gates to hell, down to the underworld, where you would, if you sailed in, you'd be met by goodness knows what gods and demons and led away into the underworld. So it was a very, they treated it with some 
real sort of reverence and respect. And I wanted to do the right thing, so I brought some flowers to put in, some words to say, a little pearl earring. I'd lost the other one, but it was a real pearl. And I thought that maybe Neptune would like something Hmm. real. So I threw the real pearl in. We made these small offerings in because I found I was quite caught up in it. And as I don't think in this world, actually, Rick, we know anything, maybe Neptune is alive and well and stirring the deep. He did send some extraordinary things because the boatman who took us said they'd never seen... Um, I think there were some seals on the rock. We've never seen seals here before. Mm. But as we sailed around, there were the seals jumping off. So here you've got... That was this, very strange. This is the mark of good travel, I think, is to get into the right mindset. Regardless yeah. of your take on, on Greek ancient religions or whatever, you're going to the gates of Hades. You might as well bring some flowers to toss in or something. You're going to the greatest theater so. of the ancient world. You might as well sing. And then you were yeah. you were roaming around the Mani Peninsula, and this to me is the epitome of rugged, where you've got these yes. ghost towns. It's like Tombstone in America, where the law, where the bad guys were, and everything. And these are ghost towns today in bleak surroundings, but there are people there. And when you meet these people, they scavenge up in the hills and they concoct all these beautiful dishes. And there's more life than you would realize. And you met just out of chance an elderly woman clad in black. Tell us about that. The village was completely deserted. Um, occasionally her son would come and visit her, but she lived there completely on her own. We were driving up to there. It was in the Vathya region, which is where the... Oh, such infighting down there, Rick. Family fought family. They built towers. They kept themselves locked up. They would Mm. rape and pillage and steal each other's women and wives and daughters and then go back up to their towers. And the whole place had a great sense of bristling hostility. And up on one of the high mountains... So you walk through these ghost towns and they're just collections of towers where everybody paranoid would live behind their own family fortifications. This is near a town called called Cardamile. That's the best home base if you're looking for a hotel. And from just there, extraordinary. Beautiful. And didn't you find there that you, you thought, this is extraordinary. Here we are in the most spectacular scenery. Mm-hmm. What is there to fight about? But anyway, mm-hmm. that was the tradition down there. But up in this abandoned village, because like in so many parts of the world, Young ones want to go to, you know, big city, bright lights. They don't want to stick up and look after a goat or two up on a high hillside. Mm. So there's a little old woman we found alone. And she said, come with me, I'm going to find some supper. Mm. I thought, oh gosh, what are we going to do? Off we walked and she was picking wild asparagus. With her sharp eyes, she could see the leaves and the asparagus stems, which is thin, called sprue in England where it's very thin before it's fattened out to the asparagus we know on our plates. She would just pick it, pick it, pick it. When she'd got a good bundle, her fingers were so quick, I picked a millionth of what she'd picked in 10, 15, 20 minutes. Mm. We took it back to our humble, humble little house, crackling fire in the corner. She looked at me, she had pale blue eyes, freckles, extraordinary colouring, and she boiled up this asparagus, put some oil on and some salt. Then we sat round her table and ate it rather in rather of untidy fashion and she looked at me with her pale blue eyes and I said are you lonely up here and she said why should I be lonely and she'd got some dogs some chickens some cats mm. she loved it she said she had the hillsides she had her food what did she want I really loved her I'd, I was pleased that I took her a present Rick I took her a proper beautiful bone china cup and saucer in a beautiful box from the Buckingham Palace gift shop so it's a copy of a cup and saucer that the Queen uses. Oh, she will treasure that. She will treasure that. It'll be on a rickety little shelf in her home. (laughs) Yeah. I'm Rick Steves. This is Travel with Rick Steves. We're talking with Joanna Lumley, and uh, Joanna's famous uh, as absolutely fabulous for her British comedy act. And uh, she's done a lot of movies, and uh, in my mind, she's just a great uh, travel uh, host and TV producer. She's produced a new DVD uh, 
which has aired all over public television called Greek Odyssey, Joanna Lumley's Greek Odyssey. It's uh, available, uh, distributed by Athena, if you want to take a look at the DVD. And uh, we're talking about Joanna's trip around the Peloponnesian Peninsula. We're mixing theater, myth, sport, and religion. Joanna, when I was on the Mani Peninsula, we met a, a woman, maybe the sister of the woman you met, and uh, mm-hmm. we were looking at a what seemed like a dead church, and there was old, uh, you know, these... Uh, wicker chairs kind of stacked up and jerry-rigged uh, bare lamps hanging, light bulbs hanging from the ceiling and faded frescoes from a thousand years ago. Very dusty place. And, and then this beautiful woman walked in and she lit a candle and put it in the little candle dish and did her prayers in front of an icon. And suddenly that dead old dusty church was filled with life. And the point is you got to get to these places and then you got to meet these people and you've got to put yourself in their reality, and then you have these vivid, lifelong memories coming out of your travels. Wouldn't you say, Rick, to everybody, is try to break off or get off the beaten track? Don't be bare-led, you know, led by mm-hmm. the nose along to all just the tried. Of course you've got to see the Acropolis sure. and so on. But even if you just go down some side streets, mm. if you're in a big city, or if you're on the countryside, stop the car, get out, walk. Anybody Just can do it. You don't need an invitation to light a candle with an old lady in a church or to eat asparagus that were just foraged by the, the woman you just befriended and give her a little gift from your land, and then you've become yeah. lifelong connections. And as you said, you have then something in your heart which you've never forgotten, and try mm. to see it with your eyes rather than just taking photographs. Because I've noticed that more and more nowadays people get out of wherever they are, they take a picture That's and true. then get back in as though they're going to look at it later. They do this in art galleries and about beautiful monuments and things. They take the picture. I was just stampeded by a group of people with charging like they had lances and swords and shields, and these were just their <laughs> little cameras. And I'm trying to enjoy a piece of famous art, and they just stampeded right by me. They took a picture, and then they stampeded over to another famous picture and took it. And I'm so thankful that so many thousands of people are seeing the Mediterranean with the convenience and economy of cruises, 3,000 people on a ship. But it saddens me also that they don't take that as a springboard and then go back and venture a little bit away from the crowds and have these magic experiences that really do connect different peoples from different worlds. I couldn't agree more. We're going on this exciting tour around the Peloponnese with different themes, and the next stop was Olympia, and this was for sport. Can you imagine? Think about that. What was it, 776 years before Christ? They had the first Olympic Games. They called a truce, no more wars. We're all going to get together and have a competition, an athletic competition, and they gathered at Olympia. What did you find there? We found a really spectacular, the ruins, because it's not just the Olympic arena. There are all the temples and the dining rooms and the places where people would have been put up, hotels, as it were, and streets, and what a town it must have been. It was simply awesome, and I realised then that... I think what we've gone wrong in the world is each time the Olympic Games are held, and they're marvellous, and I'm not criticising anybody, we beggar a country by making it build an Olympic stadium, many stadia, which are maybe used or not used, Olympic villages, the money is spent. Why don't we go back to Olympia in Greece? Hmm. Simply build the most beautiful state-of-the-art stadium all time and all purpose. Every country in the Mm. world that ever attends the Games to contribute to it, each four years somebody else can host it, but they should be there. The Games should be held in May when the weather is at its most clement. It would make absolute sense rather than everybody dashing off. I suppose somebody will argue and say, oh, the countries need the economy, but I dread seeing countries which can ill afford it, starving their own people to build massive Mm -hmm. look-at-me, show-off stadia. Mm. 
Joanna, yeah. you've done a lot of good things for uh, Gurkha issues in Nepal and for uh, animal <laughs> rights. And I think you're you've not got setting a new me up against the Olympic you, Committee. <laughs> you need to push that. I think it's. I'll join you. That's a great idea to have one great. <laughs> oh, wonderful. Okay, but when you went there with your TV show. Did you line up on the starting block? What did you do? I lined up on the starting block. There were so many. I mean, everybody who goes there, it's like walking across the zebra crossing outside <laughs> Abbey Road where the Beatles did. You have to. What you've got to do is you've got to run around the track or you've got to do something. And it was interesting looking and learning about how the original Olympic Games were, which was, of course, there were no women ever contesting. All the contestants were naked. They had some hellish competitions, some of them where people died. It was the fight to the death, which was either wrestling and they had no holds barred. I mean, you could fight in any way you want to. Mm. I discovered about long jump that they used to have very heavy weights in their hands and they'd swing their arms from a standing position. They didn't run for long jump, they did from a stand. And then using your arms with these heavy weights, when your arms flew forward, that would give you the impetus to do mm. huge jumps. That they would train, for instance, one of the greatest Olympians of all time, whose name, of course, I've forgotten now, but he used to put a calf, a live calf, around his shoulders and run with this little live calf to build up his muscles and stamina, make him the strongest man on earth. It was extraordinary. And it was instead of fighting, as you said. Oh, yeah. And a great thing about these sites, like Olympia, you've got the vast and, and almost desolate and evocative actual excavation site, but the treasures have been taken out of the acidic air and put in a state-of-the-art museum on the same site where you can uh, go inside and in air-conditioned comfort, you can look at all of the actual artistic artifacts from that age. And Olympia, you've got a wonderful museum like that. And also, your last stop on this little theme circle is uh, over the Gulf of Corinth and uh, under the mainland to the north of the Peloponnesian Peninsula, about a two-hour drive from Athens to, I believe, the northwest, Delphi. And Delphi is famous oh. as the site of the Oracle where people would actually go to get wisdom from the gods. And the way I understand it is they had these priests there, and anybody who wanted wisdom and advice from the gods would go there for the advice, but before they got the advice, they would be debriefed and interviewed by the priests, and it became a data bank of all the known information about troop strengths and crops, fates, and, and climate change or whatever was going on. And so these guys knew everything there was to know about the Mediterranean world, other people would come there, ask for advice. They'd give great advice because they had already interviewed the enemy, and they would believe that the gods gave them that advice, and it just snowballed into making this place really, really important. That's the oracle. What did you find at the oracle? Well, at the oracle, also we found the place where the oracle sat because the belief was, was that they were high as a kite. The truth is that they were stoned out of their minds. And the clever priests, because the oracle... The Delphic Oracle, who's now just world famous, you know, thus spake the Oracle, we say to each other as if that's the word. But of course, it was the priests who were manipulating by interpretation what people wanted to hear. And ah. people would come and say, my wife has been unfaithful, should I leave her? And the Oracle would babble and the priests would interpret the babbling and, and pass on whatever message it was. But we saw it in driving rain. It was the situation of Delphi or Delphi that astonished me, Rick, because it's very, very steep, up a very steep hillside mm -hmm. with a cleft going down a valley which leads right into the sea. And as always, part of the Greek, the ancient Greek way was that you've got to be able to see it from afar and be aghast at how splendid it is yeah. because that sets you in the right frame of mind. If it's your hospital, the Asclepian, or rather like Epidavros where the theatre was with, with above it the temples and so on, is that you see it from a distance and you go, oh, is that the mighty place I'm going? I'm bound to get better mm. or I'm bound to get an answer to my question. So Delphi is really striking because of its remoteness. You get all the way up there and you think, my 
goodness, it was hard to even get there with our car. Imagine building yes. this in the ancient times. And imagine walking, walking, walking. And it's a high hike, isn't it? It's yeah. up, up, up. Yeah. Absolutely relentless. And on it goes. And Mount Parnassus just behind it, up in the hills behind it. These legendary names. Mm. I found it absolutely overwhelming. And the beauty, there's, there's such a lot there to see. And you can imagine people humbly walk, taking their part in the queue and they'd usually have to bring a gift. These places were, it was like a toll. You know, if you were very poor, you could only bring a little thing. But most people had to bring a chicken or a, or a goat or a sheep or something, or maybe even a little horse, mm-hmm. and give it to the priests. Priests rubbing their hands and filling their pockets and keeping the temple going and keeping the kind of the belief going. Priests rubbing their hands and filling their pockets and keeping the temple going. It was an amazing sort of economic metabolism that was happening there. And uh, it's hard to put ourselves in the frame, the mind frame of, uh, of these people, but that's our challenge when we go there is to understand what was it like 2,500 years ago. Joanna, when I look at your special, uh, Joanna Lumley's Greek Odyssey, Several times you actually shed a tear, and I know you're a great actress and you could probably do it if you had to, but these just felt like real tears. Let's just close our interview with, with some example of how your ability to travel and emotionally connect, as well as physically connect, heightened the experience and actually brought you to tears. I think by being in the moment is as much as anything. Put yourself there, be there, Never think about what you're going to look like or how it's going to be. If you're talking to somebody, and I have the great privilege of talking to people, usually through an interpreter, who have stories to tell, listen with all your heart and mind. And some things are just so unbearably moving. Sometimes the stories they tell us are either so touching or so unbearably tragic. Um, Stories of loss or incarceration or death, the stories of the leper colony on Spinalonga, the story of the old man who's brought up in what was then Turkey and was suddenly shifted over to Greece and had lost his motherland, lost his family. I mean, there were stories that really do break your heart. Put yourself absolutely bang in the minute. Don't try. I never try to cry. In fact, I always try not to cry because I think it's Mm off-putting. But sometimes when Nana Muscuri sang, I just couldn't stop the tears coursing let down. Let really. yourself, let yourself be touched. Yeah. That's so many cases were raised, especially in the United States. I don't know about Britain, but uh, just you can't be poetic. You know, it's just not not appropriate. Be poetic. Be touched. Shed a tear. I, I think, in a lot of ways, these are people and stories that are crying to get out. And if you travel from a different hemisphere and connect with that person and really hear what they have to say, that tear is sort of like. Amen. It's yes, that that message is going to get out. You've connected with me and I'm going to go home a changed person. What a lovely way you put it, Rick. That's absolutely true. Well, it was inspired by your beautiful documentary. So, Joanna Lumley, thanks for joining us. The PBS special is Joanna Lumley's Greek Odyssey and it's available on DVD in the United States, distributed by Athena. And Joanna, let's talk again when you uh, come home with some more travel adventures, okay? Thank you so much, Rick. Happy travels. Thank you. Rick Steves has spent a third of his adult life in Europe researching and writing guidebooks. His classic, Europe Through the Back Door, teaches the skills of smart travel. At Rick Steves' online travel store, you'll also find guidebooks for Istanbul, Athens, and every other corner of Europe. To learn more about Rick's books, visit the travel store at ricksteves.com.